Wow, Facebook has changed a lot with their lives. Oh my goodness. Okay. It says I'm live on Facebook. So this is going to be interesting. So anyway, <laughs> um, here for Aaron. Oh, Aaron, um, before I get started, Aaron was unable to join us tonight. So she'll probably do it another time. But right now she's not um, joining us. I did have a post up hers was going to be postponed. You're more than welcome to stay. If not, then um, I'll definitely let everyone know when she's ready to um, actually come on and speak. But she has something to come up, so she wasn't able to come on tonight. But I am here tonight, you guys. I am here to share my journey at Our Scars Speak. And for this platform was because last year there were so many people who I did like interviews and things with. And when I did these interviews, they wanted to know, well, how is your journey from hearing that you have breast cancer? And I was like, I know they were short with time, but I'm like, breast cancer doesn't define us. And it's, we have a life before breast cancer. We have a life during breast cancer. And then we also have a life that I say that's not necessarily after breast cancer because there's no after for the standpoint of being completely free of having to think of this wonderful disease, which is not wonderful, but you know, it's not, you're never really free of it because if you're going to continue to go to the doctors, if that's the route you decide to take, then you're always going to have it somewhere in your mind, especially if you start having lumps or itching or anything of that nature, something that reminds you of what you've just gone through. So with that being said, before I start, I want to let you all know that we are not here. This platform is not to give medical or mental health or any type of professional advice. Um, if you hear something you think you might need to grab onto it, you're using it as your own discretion. We're not being held liable for anything of that nature. And I just want to put it out there because different people who will come on, you hear different stories and you might be like, oh, wow, I never thought of that. And that's fine. But we are not coming. We're just coming, sharing our story. So maybe it'll help someone else. So to give you a little history um, about myself, actually prior to breast cancer, um, right before breast cancer, let's start there. Life was really, it was going great. If you see because Facebook is down there. <laughs> um, life was going pretty good for me, actually, uh, outside of the fact far as the pain on the left side had been going on since I was in my 20s. And I got diagnosed in 2019. So that shows you how long ago, because my 20s were in the early 2000s. So I had been dealing with breast pain on the left side and just knowing something was different since then. But before I ended up getting a diagnosis, I had started a business. It was thriving. I was more, you know, like I'm going to celebrate life more. I'm going to go out and go to concerts and because I had a hard time celebrating me because I came from a past of having sexual abuse happen, being molested, being raped. And so it took multiple years for me to get to a place where I was really accepting me and really pursuing some of the things that I felt that God, you know, had orchestrated my life to be. And so it was just, I was at a beautiful place. I was at a beautiful place. I was going to concerts. I was traveling. I went to Mexico to celebrate my sister's first year being a transplant recipient. Um, I took my daughter on a beautiful campus trip over to California to figure out which school she was going to go to. It was just phenomenal. And then the pain continued to get worse and worse. And in 2015, I was denied an ultrasound and I did not have 
the proper information to even know what was going on. I just know that the doctor put in the order for a mammogram and he put in the order for an ultrasound, but the radiologist was like, you don't need an ultrasound. You, you're fine with the mammogram. If you're still hurt and come back in a week, and I did, and they still denied me of this ultrasound. Now, mind you, I had no idea what the report said because, you know, we all get a little card, right, in the mail that says mammogram is normal, um, may have some dense tissue, and I'm sure some of you ladies, maybe even some men can relate to that if you ever had to go through this because some men get breast cancer too. And so that card said that I was fine. A little bit of dense tissue. Well, in 2015, I pulled, in 2019, excuse me, I pulled the actual records from the doctor. Instead of the card, sometimes you go, got to go a little bit further, but I had trusted the card that we got in the mail. And in 2019, I actually pulled a record. And in the record, he had written to save himself that there were calcifications and that an ultrasound might need to be performed. However, he had the order, but denied me. So that was very heartbreaking um, because it was like, you've seen this, yet you denied me of even receiving my ultrasound that you actually had, but you said that I might need one because of the dense tissue and because of the calcifications. And he even specified that it could be something lying in between the dense tissue. So... In 2019, the radiologist compared the two from 2015, 2019, and she said the calcifications did look very similar, the same pattern. And the pattern that I had looked like it may or may not be breast cancer. Nevertheless, I ended up from there um, having multiple mammograms, multiple ultrasounds, and even biopsies, and they were benign. All of them came back, it was clear. And so the radiologist was like, well, everything's clear, but there's two areas that we couldn't really get to. And so we're going to watch them. <laughs> I was like, uh, no, we're not going to. I was like, no, I don't want to just watch them. Like, I've been watching this for the last almost 20 years. And she's like, well, you don't want us to keep on cutting on you, do you? And I was like, yeah. Have you ever been, have you ever been through this? And I looked at it and I was like, have you ever been through this? And she was like, no, but you've got such a long road ahead of you. Well, then that's even more the reason why, right? So I ended up going to um, my breast surgeon and she stated, well, we can come back in six months. And I told her the same thing. We're not doing that. You're going to bring me back in three months, maybe, but not six. And she said, okay, what about two? And I said, all right. So I came back in two months and in two months, these areas had grown. And so at that time, they knew that they needed to do extra work another biopsy to get those areas out right or get a sample of tissue so i ended up um they did biopsies and she explained everything to me that she could on the you know because they had like a microscope right there and she showed me the calcifications and everything and so i ended up getting a call i'll never forget december 6 2019 that miss minor you do have breast cancer um and it was called dcis Stage zero, ERPR positive, grade three. So it's ductal carcinoma in situ. All I heard was carcinoma. And I was like, you're telling me I have cancer? And she was like, yes, but you're telling me I have cancer? Yes, but it's the, this is what she says to me. It's the best one you could have. <laughs> what? None of it's good, right? And given the fact that I was a grade three, that put me even in a higher bracket far as a recurrence, right? So with having a great, if you have DCIS and maybe I think stage one and stage two, 
there's trials that you can go through where they actually watch the cancer and see whether or not it'll grow. Um, and I didn't qualify because I was already at a grade three. So I went and talked to my surgeon. She asked me, what do you want to do? You know, she was, she had this pink little binder and went over everything with me. And I asked her what my, you know, what are my chances and, you know, what's survival and survival. They always give you the same number. Um, they give you five years, five years, you know, um, five years is they'll tell everybody that for the most part, but the recurrence was the better question. <laughs> and my husband asked that question and I'll get into about advocacy in a little bit, but that was very pivotal. It was a very um, good question for him to ask because the percentages changed drastically to me. So if I got a lumpectomy, I would have had to got a lumpectomy. I had to go through radiation. If I got a lumpectomy, I had gone through radiation for, oh my God, I can't remember how many weeks, but it was a lot of weeks for five, five days. I want to say for four weeks, maybe I can't remember. So don't quote me on that. And then, um, I would have had to get the radiation and then I would have been on tamoxifen and she had already told me because it was such a large portion of the breast, it would probably be 10 years versus five years. And that was to help with, um, the ERPR positive because I, it was estrogen and progesterone driven, right? So that's what she had sh shared with me. And I was like, okay, now I'm hypertensive. And sometimes they don't tell you every full detail about like radiation and, tamoxifen and some of the things that can happen with those medications and with that treatment plan. And I'm not against it by all means. If I had, if they tell me tomorrow, like you might have to go through this and that was the best treatment plan, you know, you're trying to live. And in my case, I would have tried it. Now everybody don't even want, some people want to do holistic, right? So I did, I have hypertension. So I was really concerned about my heart and things of that nature. So I chose to do a double mastectomy for my particular situation. And so I was told, oh, the right breast is fine. Don't worry about the right breast. You don't have to take the right breast off. It's, it's fine. We've done mammograms. We've done ultrasounds. It's okay. And when I woke up, <laughs> she said, I'm glad that you made that decision about taking the right breast because it is changing. And I was like, Phew. so once again, I realized how important it was to advocate for myself. So they ended up doing the report and everything came back as she expected. Um, except for the right breast kind of surprised her a little bit that it had some stuff going on, but it wasn't cancerous. Mind you, throughout this whole time, I have had a cyst underneath my right armpit since early 2000s. And there's, it's fine, it's fine. I'll get to that later. Um, so I ended up getting the, you know, the surgery. And the first surgery, you know, getting double mastectomy is a lot of, it's, it's a lot of mental a mental trauma that comes with all of this. Uh, it's a mental trauma. You know, we hear about PTSD with war victims. We hear about PTSD with individuals who've gone through sexual abuse, but there's also PTSD with going through illnesses as well as individuals that are caregivers can have PTSD with seeing their loved one go through what they've gone through. So it's not just you, you know, the cancer patient, it's also everyone surrounding you too. It's, it can really, and it's not just cancer, it's other diseases as well, you know, that trauma can happen. So I ended up going through all of this and, you know, they tell you, I'm sure some of you up here, I know are cancer survivors and thrivers, and they tell you, hey, you know, you might have symptoms of infection, watch out for fever, watch out for um, any drainage that looks different. 
they give you all these descriptions, but not necessarily the name of what could be happening other than it could be an infection. Well, as I'm healing, because now I had double mastectomy with the hopes of reconstruction. So I had what's called expanders and it's like a balloon. And ever so often you go in, they inject it with some saline, it gets bigger and basically they're stretching the skin so then they can exchange it for the implant. And it's made out of the same material, the implant that I was going to receive. So I ended up having, um, I ended up having to get a second surgery, which was supposed to be for reconstruction and COVID hit though, mind you, in between. So from January, my first surgery to May, COVID hit. So everything changed. I couldn't get my surgery in April, which was a blessing from God because I wouldn't have found out what was going on with my body. I probably would end up having three surgeries. So I ended up having complications and the complications were initially, I had a fever and sometimes that can happen after surgery for a couple of days, but it was high and it was for three days. And then after that, I ended up having a low grade fever for months, <laughs> literally from January to I had the next surgery, like 99.9 .9, and that's never my temperature. It's like usually 97 or so, right? So it was a low grade. And that went on and went on. She couldn't even figure it out and because I didn't look infected. And then um, I ended up having uh, inability to walk that well. Like my walking, I was having a hard time walking. And I know some of you probably see me on Facebook and I was smiling, I was walking. It was a challenge, okay? It was horrible. So I was having problems with my joints that even when I stood up, I was standing up like that. Like I had to really think about standing before I stood. I had back pain. I had nausea. Every time I ate, I literally would go to the bathroom. That went on from January to May. May, I was able to, I went in one appointment prior to the last surgery. And she was like, I just, I don't know what's wrong. So they put me on a whole bunch of antibiotics just to be on the safe side. That wasn't working. At the whole time, my skin is deteriorating. It's looking like leather. It's looking like I'm burnt all over everywhere. It looks like my um, expander is about to pop out my chest. It's contorting. It's hard. It's black. It was horrible. It looked like a complete nightmare. Um, and the day of the surgery, she said, I know exactly what's wrong with you. And I was like, what? Because <laughs> please enlighten me. And she was like, you have breast implant illness and you have capsular contractor. Never heard of this. Now, some of the descriptions, as you might hear, Sounds a lot like what they tell us that you might experience and to let them know immediately, correct? And um, yeah, so that's what I had. And I was like, so of course me being who I am, I'm like looking at breast implant illness and I'm like, oh, doctors think that's in the patient's head. She said, no, it's not in your head. And I listened to my patient. She said, because you wanted those implants, you know, you wanted them and you never knew about breast implant illness. So it's not in your head. And then the capsule contractor, basically, so basically the implant illness is when they put implant material in your body and just be simplistic. You can definitely look it up for the scientific information, but um, and it's still up in debate in the medical field, but it's basically my body was rejecting the implant. It was like poison in my body. So the expander. So it had to come out. Of course, there's other procedures they can do to allow you, you know, you can do deep flat where they take tissue from one area, put in your chest to give you breasts. They can do liposuction. It's a array of things. Then I ended up with the capsule contractor, which is when your scar tissue, your, whenever you get any type of foreign object in your body, your body produces, produces scar tissue to protect your body from that foreign object. 
Well, my body went into overdrive and it was like, I don't like it. It's got to go. And literally it was pushing it out of my chest. Every day I woke up, I could hear slush, like shush, shush. That's what I heard in my chest because the implant was so close. I had lost layers of skin. By the time she went in for surgery, she's like, you've lost a layer of skin and you're on the verge of losing the second layer of skin. So we only have three. <laughs> so it was on its way coming out of my chest. And um, so I went through that. And then I told her, I said, if you cannot, if, if it's too much damage, then just keep me flat. And I woke up and I was flat. She was like, I will never put another implant of any sort in your body again. And in a year, we can talk about something different. But within a year, I decided... I'm just going to stay flat. It was too traumatizing to me. It was, and it's too much to think, okay, even if I do a deep flat, will my body reject my own tissue? You know, it was just too much for me. Now, I'm not saying that any of you should take my advice on that and not, um, you know, get deep flat or implants. It's just for my body and my decision. I was tired of being cut on in that way and just hoping and praying it would get better. And, um, so they, it did tell me that I could, uh, you know, go back and get some more scar tissue taken out because it's still tight. Um, so when you see me working out, if some of you follow me, it's very hard for me. It's very hard for me. Um, so I can reach up here. When I reach back here, that's about as far as I can go. I used to could go all the way back. I can't do that anymore. Same with the other side. It's very, very tight to the point where she thought she was going to have to go back in because it looked like it was going to come back open. So I've been doing a lot of work on my chest to get it built back up. Nevertheless, I've gone through all that. Um, it has been a journey. It has been, it has not been easy. It is not an easy journey. I don't care if you got stage zero to stage four. It's not an easy journey for you or your loved ones. And that's something that needs to be understood. But at the same time, all these scars that we have that are mental and physical, they do matter and they need to be heard. These stories need to be told because so many times, like I said, we get some information and I'm not saying doctors are terrible. We need to understand that they're human and they're subject to mistake. So, and not just subject to mistake, they can't catch everything. So they try to give us, you know, broad information. Some give us detailed information. And we still don't necessarily get all information. So you have to be an advocate for yourself. And I'll speak on what advocacy looks like. So when I had, I used to work in the medical field, first of all. So because I used to work in the medical field, I do have some medical understanding of terminology and things of that nature. I never worked with the cancer, um, the t cancer department or anything like that, but I worked like all other floors in the hospital and I worked with a plethora of doctors. So I still have some friends in the medical field and there's just certain knowledge that I have. So there's certain wording that I'm familiar with. So I would say far as advocacy, one of the things you need to try to do is find resources. They say don't Google, but there's certain websites you can go to like the, um, cancer association website. Um, and you can, uh, God, there's so many. And if you need some, just let me know. But there's a lot of, a lot of resources that are out there. You have to learn the terminology. It's important to do your best, at least to know what your diagnosis, your diagnoses mean, what your stage means, um, what is driving this cancer, your hormone receptors or not. Um, you have to be able, your grade, those, that information is vital. 
understanding what the word lesion means, mass means, um, seroma. That's another thing. I ended up having pain under here. And I was like, gosh, I keep on having pain right there and it won't go away. And she's like, well, it's not fluid. And we couldn't figure out what it was. I had an MRI. Well, I take that back. I had an MRI after that because she did an ultrasound and it was like a bead of, it looked like a whole row of tumors. And so for me, I was like, oh, please tell me not. And she was like, I think it's just, and this is something they'll do. Once again, they'll describe what it is, but not necessarily tell you the word. So she was like, it is, um, it's pockets of fluid. And I was like, okay. And she was like, well, it's pockets of fluid. And so it can be painful. And I said, well, first of all, how do you know it's pockets of fluid? And she was like, well, it is. She said, but we can do, that's when she said, let's do, we can do an MRI. However, I asked her, I stated to her, is that seroma? And she said, yes. So I'm the type of person, I don't care who you are. Tell me what the name of it is. And then if I don't understand, give me the description, but don't sit here and tell me what something is and not give me the actual name. So I thanked her for, you know, being detailed, but I still wanted to know the name. And that's something that you all need to press for. If they're starting giving descriptions, ask them the name of it because that'll help you with your own medical record. Not just that we have, um, when it comes to that though, uh, you have to make for sure also that you're getting your notes. So all of us have my chart, which can be a headache because sometimes we get the test results before we even talk to the doctor, right? Which is unnerving to say the least. Now, some of you all have not had this to happen to you. It is the worst experience I think possible known to man. If you have any idea of what you're possibly reading, it could be a nightmare that you might have a lesion or a mass and you haven't heard from the doctor yet because they're waiting for the other test results to come in and all you see are those words and you've already had cancer and you know what the word means. It's scary. But I have found in my chart, a lot of the my chart does not have the doctor's notes. You may see that the doctor has typed in or you may see your vitals, you may see your immunization, but some of the doctors have not typed in the full their full note from your appointment. You might have your, ultra, your ultrasound, your x-rays, your MRIs, all that might be in there. But sometimes the actual detailed notes of our appointments are not in those portals. So what you have to do, some of the portals have another extension that you can drag the note into your portal. Some of them do not. So I would suggest to all of you, go to medical records, pull everything. Pull your notes, pull your imaging, even if you have to get the films, well, I think now it's on jump drives, but get everything because if you decide you want a second opinion or maybe not even a second opinion there's no hard feelings with your doctor or whatever but maybe you just you're moving to another state you have all of that okay and you can give them a, a history of what has happened over the years and if something has grown they'll be able to see how much has it grown since the first time you've ever had imaging and throughout the years so it's very important to make sure you have that Doctors, like I said, they are human. Now, when it comes to doctors, the other reason why you have to advocate for yourself, when it comes to doctors, you have to remember they are not just contending with us and what's going on. They're contending with the hospital and they're contending with the insurance companies. So when you have that perfect storm, some doctors are trying to figure out a way to make sure you're getting the proper care, but not get rejected by your insurance 
or ha the hospital getting upset because they're given too many tests or too many of this and that and the patient's insurance may have to make the patient pay and the patient may not have the money. It's a whole business, as we all know, behind this. Um, so make for sure that you have a doctor that's going to do their best to make for sure they give you the proper coding to get the testing that you need. With some of the insurance, you may have to do an ultrasound before you do a biopsy, or it can just be so many things in between that you may have to do in order for the insurance to cover. So you're thinking in your head, why don't they just give me this daggone biopsy when they see that there's a lesion or, or a mass? Well, they might can't per se, because unless you're gonna come out of pocket. It's very, um, so then you have doctors who try to, you know, like work the codes. But that's time. And for us, time is of the essence. And it can be very discouraging. But you have to keep pushing because some doctors won't do that. They'll just say, you know what? Um, it's just something we're going to keep an eye on for the next six months to a year. No. If you got something growing in you, you probably need to get it taken out or biopsied or something. So make for sure that you also have a team a village, like I like to call. So my village consisted of my medical team, um, my church family, my friends, support group. I'm part of Here for the Girls. It's a major support group that I'm part of, and it was it's phenomenal. I'm still part of it. And um, I ended up having just a team of people. And then I had people that I knew that were still in the medical field. There was something now. Some of these Facebook groups are phenomenal. They can be scary at times because people are going through different things. And depending where you are mentally, you might can't handle it all. But if you have a question, sometimes someone can relate to your situation, which will give you some guidance on what you might need to ask your doctor. So make for sure that you have people sometimes that can go with you to an appointment. Sometimes you're really sick. Sometimes... We're not just sick, we're just overwhelmed. We're overwhelmed, we're going appointment here, appointment there, surgery over here, testing, over, it's a lot, it's a lot. So when those things happen, we start cognitively, we might start forgetting things. We might get a little foggy, we can't remember as well, or we're just overwhelmed, overwhelmed. So with that being said, if you bring your mother or your, you know, a sibling or your spouse or whomever with you, they may be a little bit, app to take a note and um, remember some of the things that you might forget during the appointment because my first appointment I don't really remember everything that happened um, so it's good to have those people in place so that you can lean upon them and you have to be vulnerable you have to be vulnerable with allowing people to help you because you're gonna need the help um, or some of you already been through it so you understand but it's just so significant to advocate for yourself because you can also have the situation where the doctor, radiologist, nobody's agreeing. <laughs> one saying this, the other one saying that, and you're the one in the middle, like, who do I believe? So let me kind of break this down for you. The doctor, of course, is who we go to, and that's the person who we trust with our medical situation. Well, the doctor, there's a reason why they need the radiologist, and there's a reason why they need the pathologist, because that's not their specialty. They can read a lot of the ultrasounds and stuff. I'm not knocking them for their intellect, but those individuals specify breaking down what they have to break down. So it takes that team to come up with the answers. You have the imaging department and your labs, 
um, your phlebotomist, you know, they draw the blood and everything. So it's not to say that the doctor can't do all of that, but it takes a team effort. Okay. And sometimes it can get kind of sticky because one may say, well, that looks like a cyst. And the other one might say, no, it looks like a lesion and a mass. <laughs> so you have to decide at that point what you need to do. And it's very difficult because you want the best for you. You want to believe for the best that it's only that, but you have to also take in consideration it may not be. So if it's not, then what's the best treatment plan moving forward? So um, that's what I want to bring up about advocacy. And there's so much more about advocacy, but it is just one thing that you have got to make for sure that you do. You can even ask them, which they probably say no, but you can ask, can I record this, this uh, appointment? Um, I am getting to the point, I might do that myself, <laughs> but it's like, you can ask those things, but it doesn't mean that they're going to agree with you about doing it. But the biggest thing I would definitely say is to make for sure you understand some of the terminology because you just don't want, and you're not going to know all of it, but you want to be familiar with certain things. And so that's what I have to say about advocacy. Is there anybody who have any questions? I might be able to help. Um, and I just want to make for sure if you have questions that you um, can, you can put them down there at the bottom. I don't think anyone has had any. Um, Shirley, are you still here? I think she's here. Uh, I think that's her. Yep. Hold on just a second. Let me get Shirley in here. I think I did it right. I don't know. I really don't know what I'm doing, y'all. I just came up here because I just feel like everybody's story needs to be told. And um, it's just that we have to we have to work together because sometimes all we have are ourselves. There's Shirley. Hey, Shirley is one of my good friends I met um, about a year ago almost. Yeah. Probably not that long, but we just meshed really well. And she has a phenomenal story. Hopefully I can get up her up here one night as well. But um, definitely y'all please, and her story revolves around advocating and some things that happened to her, which is very, very important for you to hear her story. So hopefully she'll come up and share one day, but um, I'm not going to pressure you tonight, Shirley. <laughs> but yeah, so we just want to make sure this platform is like a laid back platform where you can come up here and you can share your story. Cause when I was in New York, and um, so breast cancer, one, a couple of things that have happened, because it is not the, you don't want it, but I must say that one of the things that definitely happened was I have gained a new family, guys. <sighs> I'm going to get emotional and I'll tell you why in a minute, but anyway, I have um, gained a new family. And these women have been phenomenal absolutely phenomenal every person that i've met has been phenomenal and has added such value to my life because when you go through these situations in your life a lot of times you feel alone and i wrote about feeling numb the other day and it was like you're not angry you you know you may not even be scared it's just like you feel kind of numb like i'm trying everything that i can and it's just like i'm i'm numb and then if you have a bump or you have an itch or you have a something pop up, a growth, you think automatically, oh my God, did the cancer come back? But these individuals that are in 
the cancer society and it's with every different genre of different things like transplant patients my sister's one and her group she feels the same way they can talk to you about things that they they can relate they can understand we may have different diagnoses but we understand hearing the words that you have breast cancer and living with that trauma and it's good to have people in your life like that who can understand you and not belittle you um, or not necessarily belittle you, but say, it's okay, you know, you're cancer-free now, girl. Like, it's all right, it's probably not cancer. <laughs> and they can relate to you and say, you know what, we're going to believe it's not cancer, but I understand what you feel like. <laughs> like, I know what you feel like. And that's so significant to have in your life. And I am a Christian, and I, I don't beat my faith into anyone, but when you're going through this, whether you're the patient or whether you're the family member, you need to hold on to your faith and you need to hold on to those around you. And I, I always say this, that it reminds me of, and you know, if you're not a Christian, you might be Buddhist. Hold on to Buddha. Hold on. If you believe in the universe, hold on to the universe. You have to find something that is usually greater than yourself to try to hold on to. Now, some people, they might just believe in themselves, and that's fine too. But the point of it is you have to have that inner, to give you inner peace because it can really torment you mentally. But for um, anyone who's familiar with the story in the Bible with Moses and they were, you know, it was a fight going on, it was a battle going on, his arms, every time his arms fell down, the battle was, you know, they were the other opposing people were, you know, fighting, they were beating them, right? They were beating the Israelites. And then Aaron and Ur realized that and Moses and his vulnerability allowed them to hold up his arms because he couldn't do it by himself. That is with anything in life. We are not an island. And it's okay to be fearful and it's okay to be vulnerable. I always, I'm, I'm starting to say now that I'm going to confront fear as I am confident and certain within my faith. So I might go a little fearful, but I'm confident in who I serve and whose I am. So I just want you all to know that even for some who are Christian out here, Jesus didn't bear his cross alone. On the way to Golgotha, there was a man standing on the side of the road that helped Jesus carry his cross. So him being the all-knowing, all-powerful God had someone to help him bear his cross. Then why can't you allow someone to help you bear yours? It's important. You cannot do this alone. You can't do life alone, period. So I just wanted to make for sure that you all knew that. And I want to make for sure even that where this topic came from, I did a poem called Our Stars Speak and you can probably find it on Facebook somewhere. But um, when I did that poem, I was in New York and that's something else. I gained a family, I gained confidence. Um, a lot more confidence than I had before. I never would have had a sports bra on Facebook or Nevertheless, women's magazine where I had no top on. I wouldn't have never done that, especially not having, you know, having the scars that I had. But I knew it was bigger than me. I always tell people my story is not my own. And I prayed and I was like, God, if I'm doing something wrong, please don't strike me down dead. But I feel like I'm led to do this article. And it was pivotal for me to do it because at this point it's showing the devil I have no shame. It's bigger than you, devil. It's bigger than me. It's about a whole lot of people who need support and need understanding to know 
that no matter if we have mental scars or physical scars, our scars are our scars. So if my scars have healed some and yours just and your wounds just open, maybe I can help you during the process of your healing. And that's why we're here. That's why we're here. We're here to help each and every one of you and not just us, but you help us. We're here to help one another heal our scars. And then sometimes scars, unfortunately, come back open. So, but it's okay because God is faithful. And with that being said, the reason why I say advocate so much for yourself is because remember the cyst I told you about, right? So I had the ultrasound, which I have talked about, and the radiologist has informed me that it's not a cyst. Um, we're praying that it's benign but it's not a cyst and it appears to partially look like a cyst, but there is a lesion there and there's a mass. So when it, when I was told it, it felt like my heart was ripped out of my chest and stomped on and, um, it hurt. I didn't question God, but it's okay if I did because he's big enough to handle the questions, but I didn't. Um, I took this on as another battle. I called certain individuals in my life that are close to me and I share with them and I told them that I just needed prayer and they have comforted me as well as my father in heaven has comforted me. I have cried. I have cried. Um, I cried probably 24 hours off and on the day that I found out. The next day I felt numb. So that numbing was me that I was talking about. And now I have my moments. Today I even have my moments. <laughs> you know, I have my moments. I went to the gym and I had a moment in the car going to the gym. But one thing for sure, for myself, I can't give up. Long as God got breath in my body. I gotta keep going. I might have moments of tears, even anger, but I'm gonna keep pushing. And I'm gonna ask my village of people to support me in that push. So this is very near and dear to my heart. And that's why I wanted to make for sure that tonight we got up here and we shared, even though Aaron is unable, and Aaron's very transparent, she's been transparent, but Aaron has at one point um, she was in remission and she just found out she's now stage four and she's 30, I think 36 or so years old. And um, so we're keeping her in prayer. We're keeping her lifted up, you know, every week, every day, if we have to, whatever the case may be. So, um, yeah, so that's why we're here because we know that it's not just about us. It's about bringing awareness, but also about bringing support and lifting each other up. So, um, was there any questions, Shirley? I don't think so. Um, yeah, one person may swing back up here. Uh, swing rope swing. Um, asked if you would talk about going flat. She just had a double oh. without reconstruction two weeks ago. Okay, well, actually, if you want to share um, something too, you can. Mm. Uh, 
been a rough week for sure. Um, <laughs> but uh, as far as going flat, um, wow. Honestly, for some people it's difficult because it's like they lost. And I did have like a, a moment of mourning. I did, but not real long because in my head it was like, I got to do what I got to do to survive. So that's kind of what, that's the mode I kind of go into, which sometimes is good and sometimes it's not because it might catch up with you that you need to address some feelings later. But um, the point of it is, is that going flat to me has been more liberating in the fact that I know that I'm trying to fight the best fight that I can fight for myself. Now with going flat can be sometimes some complications with lymphedema. You can have some swelling. Um, you can have seroma with any surgery, honestly, but you can have lymphedema issues with any of this stuff. You can't, especially if you've had your lip nose taken out, um, or some of your lip nose taken out, which I've had, f uh, five on one side and then two on the other. So, um, that can be very, you know, that can be an issue with, uh, the lymphedema far as anything, Shirley, you have anything you want to say about going flat? I know that some women didn't get the surgery they wanted, that's one thing I need to bring up. Um, when you go flat, there's this thing called aesthetic flat closure. I didn't have that. I had, I'm flat in the front, but if you notice in my picture from Women's Health, I have these things. I hate the name of them because they call them dog ears, but it's like extra tissue they leave behind in case you want reconstruction or they just don't want to get your chest too tight. Whatever. Doctors have various reasons why they leave it. There is aesthetic flat closure where you can be completely flat chested and none of the dog ears on the side. I didn't have that, but I'm primarily pretty flat in the front. I can go back and get the dog ears taken off, but it wasn't my surgeon's fault. It was just the fact that I told her, pick one for me. And she didn't even want to go into surgery with that answer because it was very vague. So when I came out, that's what she did in case she wanted, in case I wanted reconstruction of some sort. Again, she could kind of pull from that tissue on the side. Um, so some women go in, they show the doctor, I want to be aesthetic flat, aesthetic flat closure. And you can DM me and I can show you some pictures of what that looked like in case you didn't get it. And they come out, they show the doctor the pictures and everything. Oh yeah, I can do that. And they come back and they're not aesthetically flat. They have a a lot of loose skin in the front, a lot of loose skin on the sides, and they're very disappointed in their procedure that the doctor gave them. Shirley, you may want to elaborate. If you want to, you can. I don't know exactly what else you may want to know about being flat. Yeah, I would just say, um, if you want to specify if there was like any questions that you had, but um, I would definitely make sure that your surgeon is aware of what you want. Um, and be and advocate for yourself on that because um, oh she did have it I think she did is that her oh yeah yeah that's okay her. I think she did have it um yeah I would just make sure you know and, and check those um, check with your surgeon to make sure that they know what aesthetic flat closure is what you're fully expecting um, so you don't get flat eyes right so I think she did say she had um, AFC so that's good. But yeah, far I will say Elizabeth's up here. Elizabeth is a person who's in here for the girls. And be, uh, when I went flat, oh, so this is something good. So when I went flat, I don't know if Elizabeth's talking about it or not. But when I went flat, I um, I was like, gosh, I was having a difficult time as far as being intimate. And this is not something that a lot of people talk about. But 
I was like, uh, cause you know, in my life with my husband, that's a big factor is my breasts. So it was like, I was having a very difficult time. I think he was, but he didn't want to say it because he didn't want to make me feel bad, but it was very hard, like getting back, becoming intimate again. And I remember reaching out to Elizabeth and she gave me some of the best advice just in general, not just about intimacy, but just learning my body. She's like, just have him to caress your chest, like get to know your new body again, you and him. And that was the best advice I think that I had <laughs> because I was really, that was the primary area where I was struggling in was I had the confidence. I didn't care who knew I was flat and I chose not to wear prosthetics right out the gate because I was like, I had confidence issues and self-image issues before. So I was like, you know what? No, this is who I am. I got to start loving me. Now that's not everybody's story. Some people it's very, very hard. They never stop wearing prosthetics or whatever. And that's fine. But for me, I was like, I gotta just be okay with me. And um, cause for so many years I wasn't even with breasts. So I was like, if I don't get this under control, it could get worse. <laughs> it could get worse as far as mentally. And then the intimacy part. And when she told me that I'm like, wow, that's such a good thing that she told me to be intimate with myself and with him. And because you do have a new body now, right? And some of us don't like looking at it because it is hard. It can be very difficult to look at as a reminder of what we've gone through and where we are at now. Um, I think someone said the mental journey. Oh, grief. Yes. Grief does come along with it because we always say double mastectomy, but let's be real. It's an amputation. And I, I'm not trying to be mean or graphic, but it's an amputation. It's like when, when people get their arms, have to get their arms amputated, they're let the breast, same thing. It's part of your anatomy is being taken away and it's a grief that comes with it. And some organizations, some places, they actually, some women, they cast their breasts before they have their double mastectomy or before they get one mastectomy. Um, sometimes even before lumpectomy, because some lumpectomies can change the breast and some women don't necessarily can keep their um, nipples. So yes, there's a grieving process. You're losing a part of you. You're losing a part of you. And I remember the night before my double mastectomy, my grandchildren were here and I remember having my uh, grand, and it was such perfect timing. He was a little baby. He was like a year. I call it baby. So he was, and I put him on my chest and it was just such a reminder of like how our breasts are so significant with nourishing our children. And it was just like, it's been a good run, you know, but I, I held on to him on my chest for a while that night. And it was just such a beautiful moment to remember the significance of our breasts, I guess. It was, maybe some of y'all can relate, but that was just my thing. And um, it helped me. It helped me a lot. But yeah, but, um, oh, I don't even think I finished about the scars thing, but I ended up, I'm going backwards. Sorry, but I remembered I didn't tell the whole story. <laughs> um, which brings me back to the scarring. When I was in New York doing the Women's Health Magazine, I was standing in the mirror getting ready and um, I just looked at my scars and I was like, whoa, they really have a story and it's about to be told to the world. <laughs> so it's like, that's what we're here for, right? Is these are our scars and we want to share them with everybody. What? Um, I can't read that I fast. Okay, so I'm not going to get into this. <laughs> there is there is a difference 
they all some uh i don't want to get into that i i will send you information on it because i don't want to mess it up but there is there is a difference um and a lot of it has to do with abnormal cells of course and then sometimes they can just accumulate and either when they're abnormal they're either abnormally benign meaning no cancer or abnormally malignant so for me they're trying to figure out what which were which one it is so i've been told it was a cyst forever there is a part that looks like a cyst there's a little area that has some fluid so it may be a cyst a lesion and a mass all kind of together so um yeah so on the report it said those three specific things so now it's just trying to figure out because the radiologist is like it's not don't let nobody tell you this is just a cyst so that's why I said like sometimes you can have your medical professionals kind of go back and forth and then it's like, okay, but what's the next step? Like, what are we going to do right now? Um, uh, oh, euphoric feeling. Yeah. So something, so, uh, Elizabeth was saying that it can be even, wait, my advice is that when the breasts are gone, it can become more of a euphoric feeling still being touched on the breast area. That is true, Elizabeth, um, because I know for myself, it's kind of weird. Like, I think a lot of us sometimes have a, like, I don't know about you, Shirley, but like the numbness, like you can't feel in certain areas. I kind of call it like when you go to the dentist and you have to get your mouth numb, like, you know, it's there, but... <laughs> But it's easily to bite it and then you're like oh my tongue is like like one night i didn't know i got bit by something and i did this and i felt like a little bump and i'm like what the heck is that and i had gotten bit by something but i never knew it bit me so we have to be very careful in that area but somehow now there's some of my nerves in my chest this is so weird it still kind of feel like i have nipples and so you have this thing called phantom pain where it feels like you got a lot of pain going on. You know, you might, I don't know. I don't have that much necessarily phantom anymore, but I know I do have that type of sensation, which is kind of weird. And I had asked my breast surgeon, she's like, just seems like some of this stuff has started firing. <laughs> some of your nerves kind of start firing back. And I was, she was like, wow, that's interesting. Because she had never heard anyone say that. But yeah, it does feel like sometimes I have like an aroused nipple and it's like, there's nothing there. I don't know what that's about, but I guess it's like certain nerve endings reconnecting. Um, is there anything else? Uh, what did Jackie say? It's a whole new body. Yeah, it is. It's really a whole new body. Intimacy, everything changes. And then on top of it, if you are an individual who had to get their, um, like if you had BRCA1 or BRCA2, then you may have to get a hysterectomy and some which could consist of your ovaries being taken out so then you have that to contend with on top of your um losing your breast so and some women do that some women don't for me i had a hysterectomy prior to because they thought i had another cancer at the time um but i didn't but i went ahead and got it taken out because i was bleeding a lot and it was uncontrollable but it was like 10,000 steps before they would even give me the surgery because of insurance. And then, um, but I kept my ovaries, which is still a very great big concern considering my cancer was estrogen and progesterone um, driven. But that's a whole nother story I'm fighting. <laughs> so, 
Um, did you have anything you want to say, Shirley? Any tips? Did anybody have any other questions or concerns? Or anything you want to share with us? Stacy, nice to see you, and Christy and Phyllis. Wow. Yeah. See, I'm I'm horrible with keeping up with both platforms. <laughs> I'm trying, but um, yeah. Well, if that's it, and you don't have anything to add, Shirley. Sure. Well. Yeah, we do, guys. Like, y'all don't want to come in our discussions because we're, like, trying to save the whole world. <laughs> and we'll probably try to bring y'all with it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so if that's it, then basically I plan uh, next month uh, we'll pop back up. Like I stated, it's going to be once a month for now. Um, it may sometimes be twice a month. But the biggest thing is we... I can't give always the exact date. I try to shoot for this. I think it's the third Thursday, right? The third Thursday at seven. However, some of the women and um, hopefully some men will come on sometimes and caregivers. If you're a caregiver, you're more than welcome to hit me up and share your story. And maybe you can come on as well. Um, medical professionals. Uh, my doctor's supposed to come on. I got to talk to her about that. And then hopefully I can get a tattoo artist that I know up here and some other people. Um, just people who are either like caregivers, patients, former patients. Um, what else did I say that other time? Oh, organizations, different organizations that are out there and they have, um, they want to share their information about what they're doing. And it may not just be about, uh, breast cancer. For instance, there's this one lady who she, she, uh, she's a brewer actually. She, she helped, she does different projects with breast cancer, um, patients and stuff and they she does beer or apple cider or whatever and they she sell and give a percentage to an organization for breast cancer so even things like that we want to get up here because there's a reason behind the medical professionals going into this profession we want to hear their why and leave us with some tips and then also with individuals like tattoo artist um, Amy Black is phenomenal and she's very much a supporter within the breast cancer community and um, then also she does the 3D tattooing and people like that we want to hear because what got you to this point? Why are you helping this particular um, population of people? What is your why? And what can you teach us and what can you tell us or how can you support us? So we definitely want to make for sure we hear not just the patient's voice, but other people that are trying to help the patients and um, support us. So that's what we're here for. So yeah, it will be hopefully every third Thursday at 7 p.m. And I'll put the flyers and stuff out. But there again, if it is someone who is going through breast cancer, they're surviving and thriving, and they may have an appointment because sometimes scans are done at night and they may have something to come up. Something may come up that they weren't expecting and they may not want to talk right now. There's so many reasons why someone may not want to come on or they may have to postpone. So, and it's nothing against them, or we may have to switch the date, and it's nothing wrong with that, because I'm going to work with whomever wants to come up here and share their story. And we're going to try to always keep it within at least an hour or so. Um, but yeah, so that's what we're trying to do. Um, we're not trying, we're actually doing it. So, <laughs> um, 
yeah, but thank you all so much for coming up here tonight. It'll be on Facebook, uh, IG Live, and then I will try to upload all this stuff onto the YouTube channel. And the YouTube channel is at Our Scars Speak. So feel free to go there and subscribe. We would love to see you there too. All right. Well, if that's it, you don't have anything. Oh, wait, is that a question? What is that? <laughs> Hold up. Oh. Thank you so much. Oh, okay. <laughs> like I thought it was a question. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if there's any men out there, and also men can come on too because they get breast cancer just as well as women. So, all right. Well, if that's it, then thank you for joining us, and we'll see you again next month. Bye. <laughs>